This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We've discussed that blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize that they have nothing to bring to the throne of God. They're spiritually, we are spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing in us that can climb a ladder that that can please God apart from his work in us to be faithful to him. And we talked about blessed are those who mourn, who recognize our own sin, that we realize the, the incredible distance between a holy God and um, us. And then we discussed blessed are the meek, those whose character has been transformed by being poor in spirit and mourning for their sins. Meekness being strength under control. And now we're going to talk about how blessed, how happy, how fortunate, how worthy of congratulations are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In 2013, in a place called Sefner, Florida, it was about midnight, when suddenly a sinkhole opened up within a man's bedroom, swallowing him up, and his body was never found. So the city came, they removed the house, they put a fence around it, and they filled it with gravel and water. Two years later, 2015, the sinkhole dropped again, but this time bigger. And finally, this year, 2023, after filling up with gravel and water again, it opened up a third time. And at this point, the neighbors in the area, remembering this poor guy, have, are beginning to move and leave the neighborhood. And what does the city intend to do? What do you think they're going to do? They're going to fill it with gravel and water. The world around us desperately is seeking happiness. Everybody wants to be happy 100% of the time. Everyone, no matter where you go, what nation you're in, what language they speak, what shade of skin they have, what their culture is, everybody wants to be happy. The world is in constant pursuit of finding happiness. And they will, they will grab a hold of anything they can and they'll try to, to throw it into the sinkhole in their hearts, this gaping wound inside of us that has opened up. In this, in this hole in our hearts, people will try to fill it. And so just like they keep throwing gravel and water into this thing, and it doesn't work, it just keeps opening up again, people will try to pack it full of stuff. They'll, try, they'll think to themselves, if only I could have popularity, and I'll throw that into the pit. Maybe, just maybe, it'll fix how I feel. It'll fix this hole. 
Maybe if I can just have this super attractive girl, this super attractive guy, maybe if I can get the promotion that I want, if I can make enough money, if I could have a cooler car than my friends, if I could have it fill in the blank. What is it for you personally? What is it in your life that this is the way you try to find being happy? But over and over again, no matter what we throw in this hole, it might seem like it satisfies for a minute, but it just opens up again. And we live in a world where, where the people that are the most wealthy, the most self-indulgent, that have the most women or the most cars and the most of whatever, and they put on the brightest scene of looking like they're happy and satisfied. And those very people are the ones that are live the most miserable. The book of Ecclesiastes plays this out. He was the guy. There is no celebrity, no famous rich person that would compare to Solomon. And it even says in Ecclesiastes, he withheld nothing. He went as self-indulgent, hedonistic as he could. And he still found that it left this gaping sinkhole inside of him. And what happens what happens, Elevate, is that when we throw stuff into this hole, it has a way of digging the hole just a little bit more so that our need now is just a little bit greater. And then this, this voice comes to us without words, and it says what you really needed was actually more of that than what you had, and then you'll be satisfied. But it still doesn't work. The need only grows more. And if only you could have even more. Next time you have to have way more. And if you just had it enough, you could fill. Well, it's never enough. We are given in Matthew 5 one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. Let's look at it together. It's brief, and you should memorize it before the night is over. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Look down if you don't know it. Why? Because they'll be satisfied. Other translations actually use, almost every other, where, any other place this word is used, it's actually translated, they'll be filled. Can you imagine? What if the thing you desperately wanted was actually satisfied? What if you really reached and took something and you never wanted again? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. It's a promise you can take to the bank. But we have some digging to do to understand this, don't we? Like Pastor Ben said, Pastor Kevin said, these aren't really complicated. But I think there's some layers here that are gorgeous that we need to take a minute to look at. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is promising to fill that gaping hole. Like a mechanic that knows which part of the car to fix to get the car on the road again, he's the one that looks at the human broken creature and says, I know exactly how to fix this. But to... But to know this blessedness, we're going to have to think differently. This is why we're sort of like grabbing the upside-down smiley face. What does it mean, like sarcasm or something? 
And we're sort of like repurposing the upside down smiley face. Because if you see our, our, our thing up here. I'm just going to dog up here. <laughs> look at this. Oh, look at all these unhappy faces. This is the world. These are all the people. You know, like, look, this guy right here, he thinks if he could have a better house than his neighbor, he'll find satisfaction. How about over here? He's sure that if he could get that one hot girl in the office, right? And what about her over here? Like, I don't know, fill in the blank. But those who live in Jesus's kingdom, in his upside down kingdom, those who, who live a life that's upside down and backwards from everyone else, those are the ones that actually enjoy joy. Those are the ones that experience blessedness. They're the ones that Jesus says, I got you. You will be satisfied. You will be filled. But you're going to have to think differently. You're going to live differently. Your priorities are going to be upside down and backwards. Everything that you've grown up to think is upside down from what's true of Christ's kingdom. Garbage like follow your heart. Stuff like, you are enough. Things like, pursue happiness. Are they the right person for you? Do they make you happy? What a terrible question. Do they make you happy? Our happiness does this. How can there be any stability in any form of romantic relationship if it's based on happiness? And yet Jesus says, I got you. If you'll live in my upside down kingdom, if you're willing to follow me, if you're willing to flip upside down everything you thought before, I will fill you. I'll satisfy you. What does it mean to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Jesus' words must sound so counterintuitive. Happy are the poor in spirit? What? How are those who are spiritually poor? How are they the fortunate ones? How are those who are mourning the satisfied ones? How are the meek the worthy? How are the meek worthy to be congratulated? Everything is upside down. But our, our people right here, those who are hungry and thirst after righteousness, it's, it's not because they finally got what they wanted. It's because they changed what they wanted. When Jesus opened his mouth to preach a sermon, the creator of the human creature who knows the human creature and everything that we know and need was prescribing exactly what we need. What does hungering and thirsting after righteousness mean? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean right off the bat. It doesn't mean we're hungering and thirsting after pleasure. It doesn't mean we're hungering and thirsting after happiness. It doesn't mean we're hungering and thirsting after more and more and more and more. That's the world around us. We're gonna get upside down. We're going to flip the script a little bit. God gives big blessings. Sometimes God does bless people with, with nice things. Sometimes God does bless people with, with happiness and, and different circumstances. But those are his blessings. We don't pursue Jesus' blessings either. We don't hunger and thirst after the blessings of God. We don't, we don't, we don't seek his hand. We seek his face. What hungering and thirsting after righteousness is is upside down. When we look at it and look at ourselves through the prescriptive lens of Scripture, we see that we're in sin and bondage, that, that our sin has separated us from a loving, holy God. And what's between us and him is sin. 
It's the, it's the opposite of righteousness. You see, we live in this way before Christ that we love sin. We love to find out where's the party? How much of whatever it is can I get? We live hungering and thirsting after sin. And God starts doing this work where we begin to hate the thing we used to love and begin to love the one we used to hate. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness is beginning to recognize that we have this sin in us and we're going to change our tastes from what we used to love to the one who loves us most. We have this sin in us. Imagine for a second, and I didn't, I didn't have time, that I made this beautiful tray of brownie. Some of you are like, oh, Dom. Yeah. Beautiful tray of brownie. And it's still warm, like it's sort of, the smell is wafting out to you, right? But I was conniving. I scraped just a little poop out of my daughter's diaper this morning, and I mixed it into the brownie mix. Now it's, remember, my brownies are hot. The smell is wafting. There's so little poop that you wouldn't even taste it. But you know what? No matter how small it would be, the whole batch is garbage. To hunger and thirst after righteousness is to realize that we are spiritually bankrupt. It is to realize that we have to mourn over the fact that before a holy, righteous God, the whole batch is corrupt. Our hearts are corrupt before a holy God. So to hunger and thirst after righteousness is to begin to change our tastes because we love that God so much who loved us so much. We crave to be free from sin because sin separates us from God. It separates us from the knowledge of God. To hunger and thirst after righteousness is a desire to be right with God because we love him, because we want to please and we want to grow in relationship with him. And this is what's separating us. It's getting out. I love him way too much for this to stay in me. It's going to have to be put to death. Not, I'm not going to be like, you know, someone's living in my house and they need to get out and I'm like, oh, would you mind, you know, when it's convenient for you leaving? No, to hunger and thirst after righteousness is to grab sin by the shirt collar and drag it from our lives and lock the door and we're never going back to that again. To hunger and thirst after righteousness is to say, God, I love you so much, that will never, that will never come between us again. God, I can't do it on my own. I don't have the strength. I'm weak. I'm poor in spirit, but I mourn for my sin. And if you will take hold of me, if you will come into me, please defeat this. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness hate sin and they love their God. Righteousness. To be in right standing with God, to pursue holiness, to get sin out. 
So how does hungry and thirsty after righteousness make us happy? Well, the world stands sharply against God. And there's two things that I found of why hungry and thirsty after righteousness makes a believer truly joyful. The first one is not one you expect, because I didn't see it coming either. We live in a world that stands against God. Righteousness means in right standing with God. We live in a world that stands against God. Our hearts are often against God. And this reality of where our society is, we take it too lightly. We take this whole separation from God too lightly. We're like, yeah, I'm not on the best of terms with God. You know, so? Like, no, 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 you don't understand. To not be in right standing with God is one of the greatest errors, the most destructive, damning thing that can happen to a person. To not be in right standing with God is a destination of death and second death in hell for eternity. To not be in right standing with God is to cut yourself off from life himself. There is no greater concern, no greater need, no greater destruction than to not be right with the holy, sovereign, transcendent, omnipotent God. We take it too lightly. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. I didn't see it going this way. It's okay if you don't, but this is amazing. Isaiah chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 1. This is one of the predictions that Jesus is coming. And here he's, he's labeled as the righteous branch who's going to come from the genealogy of David. So interesting. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. If you're still looking for Isaiah, cut your Bible in half and go right just a little bit. You'll hit Isaiah. You ready for this? Here we go. We're talking about Jesus here. There shall come forth a shoot, like a, a sprout, you know, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Okay, what's going on here? Israel itself, Israel, whose king was David. The king's, David's father was Jesse. So it's coming from the genealogy of Jesse. Israel is being wiped out by Babylon. It's like a tree. It's been cut off. It's nothing left but a stump. And he's giving them hope. He's saying, guess what? The stump's not dead. There's still hope. So here we go. From this stump of Jesse comes a branch from its roots, and it's going to bear fruit. So there's hope for Israel. There's hope for God's kingdom on earth. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight, talking about Jesus, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge, what? He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear. What does that mean? It means that this coming one, this coming judge, isn't basing his judgments on what's superficial, on just what someone says, on just how good someone looks like. He's not basing his judgments on what he sees or what he hears because this is the one who knows what's in a woman, who knows what's in a man. John chapter three, verse one. So he's not coming to give high fives. He's coming to judge. Shake this out. Are you ready for this? Verse four, but with righteousness, he shall judge the, with righteousness, he'll judge the, poor. all right, with righteousness, he'll judge the poor and decide with equity for the, meek. who? Meek. What? The meek of the earth. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Jesus made this up off the top of his head. No, Jesus has been echoing Isaiah chapter 11 in his Beatitudes. Up until Jesus spoke on the side of the mount, 
they read this as being the physical poor, the poverty. Physically meek, those who are trampled by the more wealthy, the more powerful. And Jesus pulls back the the, the top layer to reveal what this is all about because there are poor people who are wicked too. No, Jesus peels back and reveals this was never talking about just people that don't have a lot. It's talking about a spiritual level, the poor in spirit, the meek in spirit. So with righteousness, he'll judge the poor and decide with equity. We have three of our beatitudes right here. With righteousness, he'll He'll judge the poor and decide with equity. That means perfect balance, perfect justice for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Jesus is not coming in the day of the Lord when judgment comes, when Jesus returns. He is not coming to say, you're cool, man, you do you. Just be yourself, whatever makes you happy. No, he is coming to call to account all of those who stand opposed to him, those who are not in right standing with him. He is coming to judge and it's going to be devastating and it's going to be violent. Revelation says that when he comes back on the white horse, that his robe is spattered in blood the blood of his enemies. Like this is not the Jesus that's painted for us very often. Isn't it crazy? Judgment is the backdrop of the Beatitudes. Why? The first reason those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn for their sin, those who are meek and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, one of the main, the first reasons that they are blessed, that they're happy, that they are relieved is because they know they're on God's side and they are free from judgment by the mercy and grace of the cross of Christ. That when the day comes that we stand before God, We have joy because we are on God's side. We stand on the winning team. The victor is our father. What a reason for joy. So the first reason for those who pursue righteousness are blessed is because they're spared from the wrath of God against his enemies because they are no longer enemies. They are now sons and daughters of the king of kings. And that is mercy. They are spared from what they deserve. Second reason. Infinite God fills the pit of our soul. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness receive a promised blessing that they would be satisfied, that they would be filled. Why are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness happy, blessed, fortunate? It's because they're actually satisfied. That pit, that gaping hole is fulfilled, filled, and complete. No more concrete and water. It is done. 
Look at the promise. This is such a sweet promise. It's one of the most gracious promises in Scripture that God will fill us and satisfy us. Psalm 24, verse 4 through 5. You can look it up later. It says, who who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Like, who's going to go up to God? Who is going to stand in his holy place? Hey, who's worthy? Who has the right to climb up to where God is and stand in his presence? Who has clean hands? Oh, here's the answer. He who has, she who has clean hands and a pure heart. It's righteousness. This is someone who wants, who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false, doesn't swear deceitfully. He, she will receive a blessing from the Lord. There's a word blessed. They'll receive a blessing from the Lord. And what is it? Righteousness from the God of his salvation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because God's going to give them what? Righteousness. Thank you, Shane. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because God's going to give them. Isn't that huge? We have to change our tastes. Our tastes are so much for money and sex and fame or popularity or whatever the other treasures are that Elise listed so well. And our taste is for those things. Our, cha- our taste has to change. And when our taste changes for what actually fulfills, then God says, I'll keep my promise. I'll fill you. I'll give you exactly what you hunger for. This is a great quote by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who Pastor Kevin quoted this morning. If this verse that we're reading tonight, if this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements in the whole of Scripture, you can be quite certain you're a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. So how are we satisfied? This is it. Here's the key to this whole thing. How are we satisfied? Not only are we on the side of the hero, But does God give happiness? Does he give satisfaction? Is he like go over to God's spice cabinet? You know, we've done this before, right? And God's like, here, here's some happiness. Here's some satisfaction. No. God doesn't give us some abstract thing. God gives us the greatest gift that he has. Turn your Bibles to Philippians. It's in the last quarter of your Bible. Philippians chapter three. Oh, beautiful scripture. Come alive in us tonight. Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three, verse eight. No, God doesn't give us some abstract thing outside of himself. Philippians chapter three. Verse eight, this this is what Paul says. Indeed, I count everything. That's that's the list, that's Elise's list. Everything, everything that that we think is gonna fill this hole. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, Other translations say dung, garbage. I count them as nothing, as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. This is the perfect scripture, right across reference, right from Matthew 5, 6 to right here. So what does God give? What satisfies us? What actually fills us? An infinite God gives us himself. What? The greatest gift God has to give is himself. And Paul is rejoicing. and he's saying, everything is nothing. It's all garbage compared to the fact that I receive God himself. He's made himself a gift. And that's grace that we would have him because God himself is righteousness. God doesn't go to the spice cabinet and get righteousness and give it to us. No, God gives us himself and he is perfect righteousness. Please tell me you're getting this. And when you have the king of kings living inside of you, you have righteousness inside of you and he fills, he finally fills that sinkhole. The second reason those who pursue righteousness are blessed is because God gives us himself. A believer receives Christ. We say that all the time. Have you received Christ? And what we're really asking is, did you pray a prayer? No. The God of gods is living inside of you as his temple. It's a treasure beyond worth, a treasure that makes everything else seem worthless. This is a Ferone house trash bag. If you spend the night in my house, you know this thing's nasty. I count everything else as garbage compared to the joy of knowing Christ. Tell me, Elevate, all those things that you feel like are so important, you gotta get that grade, gotta win that victory, gotta win that game, gotta reach here, gotta... What is it? What is it in you? I count everything else as trash compared to the knowledge of God. What is that thing that you have you put way up here? This is what's so important. This is the most important person in my life. This is the most important thing in my life. We need to change our tastes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, not hunger and thirst after that. That has been so important to you. If I could just get the, the, the number of likes or followers, if I, could just, if I could just feel differently, if I could find my purpose, if I could know myself, if whatever it is, what is this that you've elevated so high? And you need to realize that it's nothing more than a styrofoam plate. It's a trash bag that came out of my bathroom. Ugh. It's nothing more. That this is it. We need to flip upside down our tastes. Because whatever that is that you have elevated so much, that's God's perspective of it because there's nothing in his created universe that would ever compete with him for value. There's nothing in his created universe that would dare compete with him for value. 
That girl, that boy that you dream about, that you think about all the time, this is it. This is their value before God. The money that you think is so important, right here, that's it. If only I could be satisfied. This pursuit of pornography, right here, this is it. This is it. If I could finally get the, the, the new PlayStation 5 or 6 is supposed to come out at some point ever. Whatever it is, what is it that's elevated? Because this is it. Paul saw it right. He saw an upside down kingdom. I count it all as this compared to the gift of God himself. We live in a kingdom that's upside down, but we have never had such a capacity or opportunity for joy than when we're willing to change our tastes. A father had a son, and one of their favorite joys was to go to the strawberry patch. And he loved to watch his little boy pick strawberries and stuff them in his mouth until his mouth dripped strawberry juice. Bright red, big strawberries. Like the kind you see in commercials for whipped cream or something. And soon, you know, you know what happens to a strawberry? God bless the poor strawberry. This, this strawberry will be taken by people in truckloads and it'll get processed and processed and it gets put into weird things, you know? And then it gets processed again and again and again. And then it eventually, there's not really any strawberry left. There's just sort of like the, the wannabe strawberry sugar flavor. And they put it into crazy things like slushies. And his son developed a love for strawberry slushies. Maximum sugar. Until one day he took his son to the strawberry patch and the strawberries didn't taste sweet anymore. And so I didn't really want to go anymore. Because he had developed a taste for the fabricated, for the counterfeit. He developed taste for what seemed so appealing at the time. But more was lost than just a taste for strawberries, wasn't it? There was a special, special time. So, so what's to be done now? What that father does is he challenges his boy to stop drinking strawberry slushies. And he starts taking him to the strawberry patch again and again and again and again until he's developed a taste for strawberries again. What is it in your life that's so driven you? For me, it's a desire for affirmation. There's like this constant nag in me. Do you like me? Do you think I'm good enough? You think I, that you think that I, I can do enough? That, that's, that's mine. I'll confess it to you. That's what I always put way up, and I'm willing to sometimes even bend what I, what, what I would want not to do for the sake of trying to reach being liked. But what about you? Well, because, because mine, mine is nothing more than a dirty diaper. Oh, God bless Eliana right here. Ooh, there it is. There's mine something that I've elevated so high that's driven me and controlled me. What about you? What's your dirty diaper? What's your plastic water bottle? This stuff that, that we're, I'm more than happy to get out of my house. Maybe, maybe it's time that we start 
getting some of this out of our house. But first we have to change our tastes and recognize what it actually is. And it is filth compared to the joy of knowing Christ and receiving his righteousness. Listen to how the author of Psalm 34 talks about God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He doesn't just say, by the way, God is good. He says, no, experience him for yourself. Taste and see. He is good. Are you willing to flip upside down what seems so important but has no lasting value? Store up your treasures in heaven. Store them up here. It has no value. It is all garbage compared to receiving the greatest gift. And that is Christ himself. What way does Jesus challenge us to pursue righteousness? He doesn't just say, hey, you should want this. He doesn't say, it'd be a good idea if you tried this out. No, he uses vivid imagery. He says, those who hunger and thirst. Have you ever skipped meals? Have you ever felt the gnawing in your stomach of being hungry before? Has your, has your tongue ever stuck to the roof of your mouth, made it hard to speak? Has it ever swollen in your lips because of your thirst? Have you ever vomited from being dehydrated? Have you ever hungered for something? And, and consider this, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, hunger doesn't go away until it's satisfied. Thirst doesn't go away until it's met. He's saying hunger and thirst, this is a need that's coming from deep inside of us. Recognize our need for God, our need for our sin to be washed away. A believer has no earthly stream that can satisfy, says one theologian, a hunger that must be fed on Christ or die. Listen to another psalm, Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. There's a need, there's a hunger and a thirst. J.N. Darby says this, when the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed upon the husks, but when he was starving, he turned to his father. When the prodigal son was hungry, he turned to the husks. But when he was starving, it was then he turned to his father. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness elevate? Is there something in you? Oh, Lord, let it be in you. And you begin to flip upside down your priorities, that your tastes would begin to change. And it may begin that you cut something out of your life. You finally take the trash out. And you go to the well. And you know what? Maybe you won't have a taste for it at first. Oh, Lord, may you hunger and thirst after righteousness until it satisfies. And being filled happens in two ways. First, it happens immediately. Christ died at the cross so that you would be made righteous. Period. Done. And... A 
believer is both sanctified and being sanctified. We are actively growing in righteousness every day. It's this beautiful little complex thing that Jesus does. That we are both perfectly in line with our creator and our creator calls us to follow him. It's like a little kid who wants to be adopted as an orphan. And on adoption day, he becomes part of a family. It is done. But now he wants to spend his time getting to know the family that loves him so much that they would snatch him out of being an orphan. Do you desire to get all the sin out of your life? Do you desire to get the desire for sin out of your life? Do you hunger for a relationship with God that surpasses all of the other stuff that used to be so important? Do you love him? Do you hunger for him? I have news for you, and it's good news. Because maybe, like me, you might feel a little bit like, I can't do that. I don't have the strength for that. I don't feel that. But God doesn't give you an abstract thing. He gives you himself. He, you're not going to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness on your own. God's going to give you himself so that you'll hunger and thirst for righteousness, so that he can fill you and satisfy you, so that you can hunger and thirst after righteousness, and you live both totally satisfied and totally craving more of the God who loves you. So where do you begin? Where do I begin? We begin with prayer. If you don't know Jesus, I challenge you to look to the cross. Look to the one that loved you so much that he died for you. Look to the cross where God's perfect hatred for wickedness and his magnificent love for you met perfectly. Look to the cross as a full, vibrant expression of his holiness and his compassion. And he went to the cross so that you could hunger and thirst after righteousness. So if you don't know him, the only place to start is to turn to him, to give your lives to him, to make him the Lord of your life. He's already Lord. He's already King. It's time you acknowledged it, that you repented of your sin and gave yourself wholly to Christ. It's then he saves you. And if you are saved, if you are a son or daughter of the King, then go to your dad. Ask for more of him. Pursue more of him. You're not pursuing righteousness as an abstract idea. You're pursuing your God. And as your relationship with him grows, your relationship with righteousness grows, and the sin runs from your life. And he sanctifies us more and more every day. I don't know if we'll be perfect on this side of heaven. I don't know if we'll ever be totally sinless. But our tastes can change, and our craving can change. And the difference between an unbeliever and a believer is that an unbeliever loves the sin and hides from God, but a believer hates their sin and runs to God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone that paid attention, who hung in there tonight. 
I thank you, Lord, for everything that you're revealing to us that we have made very important in our lives that in reality means nothing. And Lord, I pray that you begin to change the tastes of men and women of God in this room. I pray that you would call those who are not men and women of God to call on you to be saved. Lord, let us begin to live and walk in this upside-down kingdom in a way that pleases you and honors you. And Lord, I pray not that we will encounter joy or have blessedness, but I pray that every man and woman in here will have you. I thank you, Heavenly Father. You're so faithful to us. Lord, bless our e-group time. Let our discussion go deep. Let it be memorable. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.